0: You know you got to tread water and and you made it work at the end so listen proud of it, the
1: the winning streak's got to come somewhere right we got to turn it around somewhere it all starts <laughs> somewhere. Start with one hello everybody and welcome into another edition of there's a lot going on the only podcast that takes bike lessons from joe biden i'm david orio joined as always my pal tom shively tom the NBA Finals are over. The NBA Draft is right around the corner. I've just told everyone everything we'll be talking about in this show. So, Tom, you know, before we get started, I got to know, how are you feeling, especially coming off of the heartbreaking NBA Finals defeat to
0: the Golden State Warriors? You know, David, as, as I told you on, on text before the show a couple days ago, all the smart people had the Warriors. You know, you picked the Warriors in six, te- tip of the cap to you. I had the Warriors in seven, of course, because they were just a better team. Um, obviously, it was disappointing to see the Celtics lose. Great season, um, but they they ran into to Steph Curry, who was on a mission, and uh, they they kind
1: of got their youth exposed there in the past, in the last three games of the series. I actually got the nicest comment ever on Instagram for something we've done, and it was a comment for something we posted before the NBA Finals. Somebody commented on my finals prediction, which was if everyone remembers warriors and six i said the whole you know i trust the warriors more they're veterans they've been here before blah 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 and a guy commented quote unquote spot effing on my guy shout out to that guy because it's not easy for people to admit when other people are right and that guy saw it was like yo this guy nailed it did i get anything else right the rest of the playoffs absolutely not but i got the one thing right in the end that mattered i
0: know just just disgusting that you're resting on your laurels after going well like two for 15 in series picks like horrendous playoffs and he turns around in the finals so you know you got to tread water and and you made it work at the end so let's say the
1: the winning streak's got to come somewhere right we got to turn it around somewhere it all starts <laughs> somewhere. Start with one Exactly. So we're at one. We're back. Reset one. We'll see what happens going into next year. I did really good last year, too, at our over-unders. I ended up betting a few of the ones that I said on the podcast, and I think I only got one wrong, and it was the Atlanta Hawks. So shout out to the Atlanta Hawks, who were wildly disappointing this year. But Tom, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the NBA Finals. Of course, the Golden State Warriors defeated the Boston Celtics 103-90 in Game 6. I believe that was on Thursday night. Uh, so there there goes the mm-hmm. Warriors. Four championships in eight years. Steph Curry finally gets his elusive finals MVP. Uh, he played fantastic in the closeout game. 34 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. He also added in two steals and a block. So he just controlled the game from start to finish. I actually saw Steph Curry is now second all-time in points per game in closeout games behind Michael Jordan. So the only guy who scores more points in closeout opportunities is Michael Jordan. So that's an incredible stat to be a part of if you're Steph Curry. Uh, But Tom, like we mentioned, four championships in eight years. This nucleus of Steph, Clay, Draymond can't exclude Andre Godala. That is their fourth title collectively. Steve Kerr, of course, the coach for all of these. Where do you kind of view this Warriors dynasty all time with some of the other great NBA dynasties? I think it's
0: interesting because this this team, you could argue is the worst of the four championship teams. I don't really think it's, it's much of a debate, honestly, that this I would say the 2015 team that won was, was maybe a little bit better than this one. It's close. Um, I think you have Steph, Cle- it's one of those two I guess is my point, and you kind of have you know Clay who's coming back from three years of injuries. Um, Steph who's been banged up. This team you know loses in the play-in round last year, and then suddenly kind of flips the switch. And and you know we talked about it all season. Makes sure you remember, oh yeah, it's the Warriors. And I think because of the way that they that they play, that they're able to they, you know they really did change the game. And in terms of dynasties, you look at what like the, the past three big dynasties have been what like Miami maybe um if you want to look at them san antonio the chicago bulls i I, the the spurs and bulls obviously both have more championships in their runs i'd I'd probably rank the warriors three out of those three i might put them ahead of some of those lakers dynasties um but in terms of those like 90s since the 90s i think jordan the, the six titles in eight years is is a little bit more impressive to me i think the spurs kind of with the the talent that they had, the Hall of Fame talent, it probably ranked them ahead. But this Warriors team, I mean, to do it in the the super team era of the NBA, and sure, they have a couple of those titles that are super team titles, but I, th- I think that, that maybe lessens the dynasty a little bit for me because they had Kevin Durant and they kind of win the title and then go get a superstar. I, I think, to me, that puts San Antonio and, and Chicago a little bit ahead of them
1: on, on the all-time hierarchy, but it's still obviously a, a great team. So if we're talking all-time dynasties, for me, I think I'm with you. The nineties Bulls are still the best dynasty in NBA history. Just what they were able to do in that 10 year span, you know, we we go to eight, but even those, you know, if you extrapolate it out, just that 10 years, they were the most dominant team in the NBA from you know, the decade of the nineties. It was dominated by the Bulls. And so they're for me, probably the best dynasty of all time. I think, despite the fact there weren't many teams in the league, what the '60 Celtics did, I think, can't really be ignored. I mean, the number of—I mean, they were just winning every single championship. Wow, now, Celtics praise! Wow, listen, it's impressive. No matter how you you slice it, and they were—it wasn't like they were—they were beating consistently somebody who was a consensus top ten player of all time, and Walt Chamberlain. So. You know, we talk about Wilt Chamberlain as this mythic, godlike creature, and they just kept beating him. So clearly they were doing something right. So I think the 60s, 60s Celtics are kind of what they did to set the league in motion, I think is really impressive. I still would rather have the Kobe Shaq Lakers as well over this Warriors team. I think that one's pretty close. I think the Spurs is interesting because you're right, the Spurs have more championships, but it, it feels like it took the Spurs a long time to accumulate those championships. The Spurs is more about longevity than it is peak dominance, where, you know, the Spurs won those two with Robinson and Duncan, and then they won three later with uh, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, but they were never, what was the most they won was back to back. They never won had a three-peat. And the Warriors never had a three-peat either. But still, four and eight years to me is a little bit more impressive than what the Warrior what the Spurs did in terms of longevity. Um so yeah, I think peak performance the Warriors were better. But I think the other point you made that kind of hits the nail on the head. The reason or the the way people will discredit the Warriors dynasty and I don't think it's unfair is the Kevin Durant years. It was the, you were already a 73-win, quote-unquote, best team ever. You lose after being up 3-1, and then you go get Kevin Durant. And, and when you combine all that together, the the 3-1 collapse, I don't think any other dynasty, I mean, they're literally the only team to do an NBA Finals history, but no other dynasty has that kind of a black mark against it where you know they were such heavy favorites at that point. And then to lose, I think that's a huge black mark. And then going and having to get Kevin Durant the way they did. Because I think you and I are honest about this. They don't win those two championships without Kevin Durant. It's not like they didn't need Kevin Durant. So I think that diminishes them a little bit. And so I'm going to take back, I think, something I just said. The Spurs are probably ahead of them. But, you know, it's... It's still impressive what they did and to maintain this nucleus of players as, like you mentioned, we are in the super team era and this nucleus of Steph, Clay, Draymond, they never left. They, Clay Thompson, I remember the rumors swirled that, oh, he's going to go to the Lakers. He, that's where he wants to play. His dad was a Laker. That's just his dream is to play for the Lakers. And then he stayed. He re-upped Steph Curry, kept re-upping. They're gonna have a decision to make this offseason about Draymond Green, but I fully expect they're gonna keep him. And now they're built for the future too. Jordan Poole is young and emerging. We haven't seen James Wiseman in over a year and a half, and he was the consensus one or first or second best player in the draft, and what is this team missing? A big guy, they're missing some length. So if he comes in and is good next year, they're ready. Jonathan Kaminga looks like he's gonna be a direct one-for-one replacement of Draymond Green. And so it's like this team has four and eight years, and I think there's a possibility they get another one. I think there is; it is not out of the question. This Golden State Warriors win another title the next couple of years. Absolutely.
0: I mean, you look at the Western Conference. Who scares you if you're the Warriors? I mean, maybe the Mavericks get better. That's kind of it. What about if the I'm Grizzlies? The Warriors, to be honest, like Phoenix doesn't scare me. With the way they handled Memphis in the playoffs, no,
1: doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I want to push back against that a little bit. It went six, and that was after John Morant got hurt. So, like, they manhandled them in game five after John Morant went down and ended up losing the series, but I think you could make the argument if John Morant doesn't get hurt in game four, there's a chance this goes seven and the Grizzlies might be able to beat them. I wouldn't make that argument, but I'm saying you could potentially make that. I suppose. I mean, they're up two one before Jaw got hurt, so they are still. I think they were still going to win the series. Okay, I, to me, that's the team, right? If anyone's going to knock off the Warriors, it is either you mentioned them, the Mavericks. That, it's a budding rivalry.
0: I'll give you that. the The Grizzlies have the hunger. Uh, you know, if you can
1: describe that, they, if you,
0: hungriest team next year, I think Memphis
1: Grizzlies won it. Yeah, they they're a team too. To me, that their window is not very large to win and that might some people might see that as disrespectful to ja morant but to me it's more of when you look at ja morant's player profile those kind of guys do not have long and budding primes they are great for about four to five years and then just athletically they can't maintain that either because of injury or age and so to me if you're the grizzlies your period to win is coming up and it's coming up very quickly. So, I would agree with you. That team's going to be incredibly hungry. And I already mentioned, the Mavs, they're already better than they were last year with the acquisition of Christian Wood. They needed kind of that pick and roll number 2 big man next to Luka Doncic and he's a massive upgrade over what they've had the last couple of years. And I've heard some people bring up, you know, he has a bad attitude, he doesn't really want to win. I don't think that's necessarily fair when he went there originally expecting to play with James Harden and compete for championships. And then the James Harden immediately wanted to leave. So I don't know if I, if I'm Christian Wood, this is going to be a much better situation for him. And I I think the Mavericks are the other team who could compete. But yeah, other than that, I mean, unless LeBron James and Anthony Davis come out just absolutely on fire next year, you know, what? one more team I want to throw out there curious your read on them, the Los Angeles Clippers. All right. Does Kawhi come back? Is that a team that could give them some trouble with their length, both with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Can can they give the Warriors some trouble? Mm, They're too old. Not worried. (laughs) Not worried. All right. So there it is. Uh, Tom, before we move off of the Golden State Warriors, I want to talk a little bit about Steph Curry. Steph Curry's, you know, he's now filled in the one thing on his resume that he was missing, a finals MVP. I still contest he should have got the one in 2015, but is what it is. He finally got the one that he was deserving of. Tom, Steph Curry now has four championships, an MV- multiple MVPs, a finals MVP, obviously the three point record, all the first team NBAs. Where does he now rank for you potentially? On the all time greats list, I-, I can give you mine first if you'd you. You like. got the
0: exact. You say you have an exact number, so I
1: mean. I do have an exact number. I kind of labored over this quite a lot. I thought he was teetering somewhere between 11th and 13th all time, and it was one of those things where I was kind of torn on whether or not I want to put him ahead of Hakim Alajouan, who I had at 11, and ultimately I decided that he was deserving of going ahead of Hakim Alajouan because of the the impact he made on the game of basketball and the way he's changed the way people try to play basketball so steph curry to me is the 11th best player of all time just outside the top 10 my top 10 for those who do not remember is lebron james michael jordan kareem abdul jabbar magic will russell bird duncan kobe Shaq. Steph, to me, is just outside of that. Directly behind him, for those curious, is Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Durant. I had mentioned before, I thought the Kevin Durant conversation would be interesting. I just think Steph has two titles without him. All of Kevin's came when he was a part of the Warriors, and I think that is the thing that pushes Steph beyond him. He's been the nucleus of the best team of the last 10 years, and that, for me, has to count for something. Steph Curry, 11th best player all time. Let me hear let me hear the top 10 one more time. It was LeBron, Jordan, Kareem, Magic, Will Russell, Bird, Duncan, Kobe, Shaq.
0: I think he's in the top 10. I don't know who I would boot out of that list, but you want to talk about game impact, I would say in the history of basketball, nobody has had as much impact on a game Number one to me is Michael Jordan. Number two
1: is Steph Curry. No. I think in terms of the way people view basketball. Do you disagree? Uh, Wilt Chamberlain had the greatest impact on the game of basketball of all time. They literally changed so many rules because of that dude. They had to change their free throw rule because he could literally just jump from the free throw line and dunk. That is impact. He No one has changed more of the game than Wilt Chamberlain. I'll give you Jordan and, and Steph, though, two, three. So Steph, we'll, Steph three, we'll go Steph 100%. three. 100%
0: okay alright alright so thank you for putting me in my place by wilt Um, Steph it pains me to say but you start to look at who he replaces on this list things he can do on the court names like Tim Duncan come to mind Steph has been more influential than Tim Duncan Bill Russell it pains me to say I might rank Steph ahead of him just because of the the nature of doing it in, in this era of the NBA and so reliant on, on raw power and, and, and skill. And you think about the LeBrons of the world and, and the Shacks of the world that obviously are elite talent. And that kind of has dictated the league. And then this little, this little guard comes along that, you know, there really isn't outside of magic. What? Like he's the, these are the only two really guards on the list. And magic was a tall guy himself. So it's, it's such a unique body to kind of have this much success in the NBA. I think you have to, to put him in the top 10. I think the impact he's had on the game is undeniable that the, the way he's kind of invigorated the three point ball and, and kind of re looked at the way, you know, it's either, it's either layups or threes really are, are the best options on offense. Now. And Steph, the Warriors wave, I think kind of fueled that. And, and, and that's the way teams, teams are trying to be the Warriors now. And, and still, it's funny that eight years later, nobody can do it, but that's just the greatness of Steph. And
1: I think, I'd put him eight or nine. I'll go nine for Steph Curry. So just a couple of the guys you mentioned there, the and I just want to explain why I had them ahead. To me, he can't go any higher than nine. I think I'd be willing to put him ahead of Kobe and Shaq. I am not willing to put him ahead of Tim Duncan. And that really comes down to Tim Duncan is the best defensive power forward of all time. And to me, when you can do it on both ends of the floor, the way Duncan has Steph, I don't think he's as bad as a defender, as people say, because the Warriors are consistently a top five defense when they win championships. And so you can't be that bad on defense if your team is always top five in defense. But I think that's really what separates my top eight from the people below them is all my guys in the top eight are world-class defenders. Steph Curry is not a world-class defender. I think he's a decent to good defender, but I'd rather defensively have Shaq and Kobe. And so that's really... Really, what it comes down to for me when I'm separating everyone else from Steph Curry. But Steph Curry, like you mentioned, offensively, Steph Curry might be the greatest offensive player in, in NBA history. I actually think you could make that argument between the three point record, between, I mean, Steph Curry is that guy, right? That at any given moment can take over and completely change a game, unlike any player we've ever seen you and I have talked about this before the number of times we've watched the Warriors be down like 15 and then suddenly they're up 4 it's it's crazy and it's all because of Steph Curry it's all because of the gravity he brings to the game of basketball so you could argue that's just as valuable as somebody's defensive prowess but again I would rather have the the strong defenders so that's why Steph Curry for me is 11 and it's gonna be pretty hard for him to move higher unless he just wins like four more championships or something ridiculous (laughs)
0: Fair enough, fair enough.
1: All right, Tom, let's move on to the losers in this situation. That, of course, is the Boston Celtics. I think by all metrics, a very successful season. I don't think any of us predicted they would be in the NBA Finals before the season started. Even for me, once they started winning games in January, I thought that that was going to catch up to them when they play faced the Bucs or somebody of that caliber. They beat the Bucs. They beat the Nets. They beat the Heat. And there they were in the NBA Finals. It really just came down to inexperience and turnover issues. If we're being honest, they couldn't take care of the basketball to save their lives in the NBA Finals. Uh, Tom, first of all, kind of your assessment of their NBA Finals performance before I ask you about next season.
0: Turnovers number one. Yeah, I think you look at the if you're going to circle a game that hurts the most, I think it's game five. If you're the Celtics, they they got they got curried in Game Four. He had his elite performance. People obviously kind of expected that to come. He is 43 in Game Four, and I don't think that really surprised anybody. But when, when Steph goes over from three and and doesn't hit a three for the first time in his playoff career, and they still come out flat when they when they've been as good as they were on the road in the postseason, it it kind of felt like they lost the series that night rather than the loss in Game Six. Obviously, the 21 to nothing run hurts in game six i think those those long runs those bad quarters it kind of plagued them the whole playoffs especially in that miami series and then in, in a couple of those games against the warriors had a really horrendous third quarter in game two but yeah i mean they're young obviously it's the first finals that they they won game one on the road so obviously this is a team that's comfortable and and, and capable of winning road games they I don't have it in front of me. I think they finished something like seven and five, eight and five on the road in this postseason. maybe only four losses actually now that I think about it, but they were, they're very good on the road. Um, it kind of felt like this was the first year that everything was clicking for the team. And obviously they get a little bit of injury luck. I think any team that makes the finals runs into that, they avoid Chris Middleton in the second round. Um, you know, Tyler hero isn't fully healthy. Jimmy Butler's not fully healthy when they play Miami. And then they run into a fully healthy team in golden state. And they they were just the second best team on the floor that series, and I think that there's not a lot to be ashamed of if you're the Celtics. I think obviously you know we looked back January they were under 500, they were you know best record in basketball second half of the season. The defensive metrics that they put up were great. Um, they win an Eastern Conference title. They kind of get over that first hump that they'd been trying to do really since since LeBron went to Miami. They hadn't been back to a, to a finals. So it, it's certainly positive, but you look at everything that has to go right for a team to make the finals. It felt like the Celtics got a lot of breaks this year as well. So we'll see what happens next year. I think uh, they're going to have to play a little bit better in the playoffs than they did this year to get back to the finals.
1: Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you had mentioned that every team who makes the finals needs some level of things to go right for them to make the finals. And I just think the... The main thing they needed to go right to make these finals was the Chris Middleton injury. If Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, I stand by the the Bucks win that series. And I thought the Bucks were the best team in the Eastern Conference as long as they were healthy. But they weren't healthy. That's the way things go. I don't think that diminishes at all what the Celtics did. But you kind of mentioned to make it back next year. I think they currently actually have the they're tied with the second best odds next year to win the title behind the Nets and Celtics. Mind you, Vegas historically the last few years as soon as the season ends has been historically bad at predicting who's going to make the NBA finals next year so that this is not their strong suit so I don't think we should count on that one as something to look at as a good metric but when you look at the Eastern Conference I don't know if you mentioned all of them I don't think the Miami heat are really gonna this is just my opinion I I was I've been wrong so many times about that team but I think they need such... Her- Who's been right about the Heat? Nobody. Nobody can read that, team. Yeah, they, they need such Herculean efforts, though, from Jimmy Butler to make the NBA Finals. It's hard to see them doing that every single year in the playoffs. I think that's kind of why... You know, a lot of people mentioned the shorter time in the offseason as to why the Heat struggled in the playoffs last year. I think it's more just because they rely so heavily on Jimmy Butler, and they're just killing his body come postseason time that he can't do it every single postseason. So... I just don't expect them to do that again next year. So then it becomes, are the Bucs healthy? Because if the Bucs are healthy, they should be heavy favorites. And then I think also equally important, how does Joel Embiid and James Harden mesh for an entire season? And what do the Sixers do this offseason? I think the Sixers have glaring holes in their team that still have not been addressed. And they're going to have to be addressed come, uh, come free agency and the NBA draft. But I think if the Sixers can figure that out, they're another team that could compete. But I think the Bucks should be heavy favorites in the East going into next season. I've seen the Nets be tossed out as a team who could do well next season. And I actually, I think next year, if the Nets are going to win, it's actually going to be next year because they should have a full season of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for the first time since they both got there in terms of t- full healthy seasons since they both got there. And if those guys are healthy, I think it's, I understand next year picking them, if they can build out the depth around the two of them, because I, I stand by the James Harden trade didn't make sense for them when they made it. So it killed their depth. I think if they had Jared Allen and all those guys, they would have done much better than they did. But yeah, I, I think the East is very competitive, but the, the Bucks are right there at the top of that. And I kind of like you, I have a hard time seeing the Celtics getting back next year, if I'm being quite honest.
0: I don't know about hard time. I I might put the Celtics two in that group. I, I think they're three at lowest. Milwaukee's one, I'd say, and and I think it's kind of a, a toss-up between Brooklyn and Boston for number two. Ben Simmons is an interesting character for Brooklyn. We'll yeah. see kind of what he turns into. Um the defensive side of that. I think they were missing that in the playoffs. Obviously, with him, you know, is he gonna play? Is he not gonna play the the, the yo-yo for the for the last three games of that series? Brooklyn might have won that series if Tatum doesn't make that layup uh, right at the end of game one. And, and if the Nets win game one on the road... They got swept. I, I, yeah, but they, they didn't lose a single game by more than 10 points. And, and the morale of a young team, the Celtics, being as, as finishing as well as they do and then losing game one like that at home, I think it would have bothered them. And I think the Nets probably would have won a couple more games in that series, too. I know it's, a, it's quite
1: the take. but Yeah, that's that's quite I, revisionist I think, history of what happened. Uh, that that series. What, what did I say that was wrong? I, I, I just think the Celtic or the Nets needed Kevin Durant to play better than he did to win that series. Kevin Durant was, I wouldn't say locked down, but about as close as locked down as you can get for Kevin Durant in that series. And so they weren't winning that series with Kevin Durant playing how he did.
0: They could have won a couple more games. No. Um, but anyway, back to the Celtics, like, you know, Time Lord misses some time in the postseason. Marcus Smart misses some time in the postseason. They were honestly better a lot of the games that Marcus Smart missed, so I don't know how big of a thing that is. But Time Lord being hurt and not being 100% I think cost them a little bit and I think could have limited Milwaukee a little bit more, and so I'm not I'm not sure that the Bucks win – that series as cut and dry if Middleton plays. I think the Bucks probably still win, but it probably still goes seven with, with healthy Robert Williams. So I think having him next year is the big X factor for the Celtics to kind of be that enforcer inside that so many teams need and so many teams really want. And I think they, they they have a great chance to get back to the conference finals. It's going to be a struggle to beat Milwaukee, though, especially knowing that they beat the Bucks this year and the Bucks are going to kind of be out for... For a little bit of blood after after losing last year, when they probably felt they were justly the better team.
1: Yeah, I I don't disagree with really anything you said. I think if I had to go into next season right now and rank the teams in the Eastern Conference, I would say Bucks one. (sighs) Here's the thing: I'm gonna put the yeah exactly right after the Bucks. It's just eh. I'm gonna put the Celtics two, and it's solely because I don't. I don't trust the team that's built around Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. I don't know how you can trust that nucleus of players when Ben Simmons pretty famously flaked in a big situation in a game seven to go to the conference finals. And then when his team needed him, like you kind of mentioned in the first round, it's pretty obvious they could have used his defense and his playmaking. He just it would he ended up having back surgery so i guess he had a legitimate injury that he couldn't get through but it kept being this will he won't he thing and i think there's just too many distractions around the brooklyn nets even if kevin durant is like amazing you could win the mvp next year i just don't see them being able to get the distractions together enough to end up winning a championship so I, i'm with you I'd put the Celtics two. I actually would even put the Sixers three ahead of the Nets. That's how low I think of the the Nets nucleus. Um, I'm not as high on the Heat next year. I wasn't high on them all year though. So we'll see kind of how it shakes out come playoff time. I'm not going to count Jimmy Butler out anymore until I see that he is struggling in a postseason. Uh, Tom let's let's go on to another conversation I want to have relating to the Boston Celtics that is Jason Tatum you had said before the series started that he could break into the top five if he won the series I didn't think he could break into the top five if he won the series I actually had said he was a top 10 player and I've actually put my list together curious where you would rank Jason Tatum he is actually the 12th best player in the NBA to me I think that might, some people might see that as disrespectful, but here are the 12 guys I have ahead of them. You can react accordingly. I think consensus, Giannis, best player in the league, don't even need to get into it. I've moved Steph Curry all the way up to number two because of this performance in the postseason. And I think he's just been, he's been that sensational in the NBA finals. I have Joel Embiid, three, Luka, four, Jokic, five. And to me, those top five, whatever order you have them in, that's the top five. So number six, LeBron, seven, Kevin Durant, eight, Jimmy Butler, nine, Kawhi Leonard, 10, John Morant, 11, Damian Lillard, and 12, Jason Tatum. A couple of these are legacy picks. So Kawhi Leonard and Damian Lillard, I'm giving them past performance bumps as opposed to what they did this past season because of injury. So they could easily fall out of where they are right now, but that is my 11 ahead of Jason Tatum at 12. Can
0: I get uh, can I get six through
1: eleven? Sure. Again? LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, John Morant, Damian Lillard.
0: The first thing that sticks out to me is Steph Curry at number two because you came on, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were doing this. Where is Tatum going to rank? And and you gave your top five, and it was that top five. But Steph Curry was he was five. What seemed like a, a relatively distant fifth, and, uh, you know. You, you then went on to say with Tatum, it's going to be tough to kind of move based off of one finals performance, but then here we are with Steph Curry. Oh yeah, based off one performance, I'm just going to move on Steph Curry's, Curry's not one finals so. performance. This is Steph Curry's fourth. Well, no, it's it's one finals performance from what you do then to what you do now. Yeah, it is one performance. Okay,
1: fair, fair. I'll, I'll give you that. I, just, I, I think Steph Curry was so impressive in these finals, it, it moved the needle for me, where every guy behind him has not done it in NBA finals before. I don't think you're wrong. I think that I, I, I'm just saying, I think that's the point I was trying to make
0: about Tatum, whereas if he had had an elite series like Steph did, then you could have to have the conversation. Obviously, that's not what transpired. <laughs> Jason Tatum was, was very pedestrian in the NBA finals. Um, I, I would say bad in some games, Jason Tatum was. And uh, I, I have a hard time putting him in the top 10 when... The, the the thing with Tatum is he's, he's obviously the best player on the team, but there are consistent nights where he's not the best player on the floor for the Celtics. I think Jalen Brown, you know, maybe one game out of every three is the best player on the Celtics floor. I think all the guys ahead of him are, are unquestionably the best player on their teams, the leader every night. And I'll put him ahead of Dame, maybe. I'll put him ahead of Kawhi, maybe, like. He's tenth, I think. Max, I, I don't think. Obviously, the top five is the top five. LeBron's ahead of him. Um, I think Durant is still ahead of him. I think he's about neck and neck with Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy, I think, has had clutcher playoff performances than Tatum. Tatum can hang his hat on Game Six against Milwaukee. I think that's kind of his his crown jewel so far in terms of clutch playoff performances. Which you know to do it at, at the defending champs an elimination game is obviously really impressive but Jimmy you know putting together a few key finals performances I think almost taking the six almost taking the heat to the finals with frankly a, a team that wasn't as good as the Celtics I think I'd probably lean Jimmy
1: saw it. 10 10 for Tatum I that think would actually me. put him nine so here are the guy you're I have I have Jimmy ahead of him yeah, yeah let me let me go ahead let me here are the three guys that he'd be jumping on my list if you put him nine Oh, okay. Kawhi Leonard, okay. Ja Morant, Damian Lillard are the three that he would jump.
0: Ja's is an interesting one. Mm. See, for, for I take him ahead of Ja. He's done more in the playoffs than Ja. I mean, Ja's been hurt, but he's. Uh, I'll put him over
1: Ja. I mean, in- injury counts or something. So if that's like what you want to, how you want to differentiate it, that's fine. I think for me, when healthy, I've seen Kawhi Leonard do it more. So I'm taking Kawhi Leonard, and then really. What it came down to for me, John Morant and Damian Lillard over Jason Tatum, I think they're all kind of in the same conversation of player. Those guys, they give me an elite trait. Jason Tatum doesn't have an elite trait to me. They're elite. Damian Lillard's an elite three-point shooter, and John Morant has elite athleticism. I don't know what Jason Tatum's elite trait is. I think he's great at a lot of things. I don't think he's elite at anything. And so for me, that is the differentiator from basically 12 down, is I don't think any of those players are elite. And I actually don't think anyone outside of, I think once you get past Kevin Durant, I don't think any of those dudes are superstars. I think the top seven guys are all superstars. Everyone below that is not. So I I, don't, I think Jason Tatum, he still has a lot of work to do, And I'm hoping and he seems like that kind of guy. He seems like the kind of guy that making the NBA finals will motivate him to work even harder and continue to improve his game. But I can't put a guy in the top 10 who can't dribble with his left hand. They fo- kept forcing him left because you couldn't dribble with his left hand. That is insane to me. Him and J- Jalen Brown could not finish with their left hand. And the other thing that really bothers me about Jason Tatum, I heard this on a uh, Bomani Jones podcast. Everyone knows I've referenced this before. And I hadn't realized this bothered me until they both said it. Jason Tatum plays kind of soft. And I don't mean that as like a diss, I mean it more as he needs to fix that about his game because he'll go to the bucket, right? And instead of just going into somebody's chest because he's 6'10", 200 plus pounds, he'll try and do this like little, oh, let me get past them with this fancy up and under move and do that. Just go into his chest, go to the line and shoot free throws. He is almost afraid at times to go into people's chests and shoot free throws. And this is the most like Boston, like 50 year old dad take, I'm going to have this in entire podcast. But him and Jalen Brown both need to get better at dribbling with their left hand, which insane I have to say that about an NBA basketball player. And they both need to be more physical when they attack the basket. Because I think if they get more physical attacking the basket, they're gonna get more calls because they are that caliber of player.
0: You're spot on with Tatum. Jalen Brown's biggest problem is he loses the ball before he can attack the basket. (laughs) So I mean kind of what you were tying into, but how many times did I see that man drive and just whoop the Warrior? You know, swipe the ball away and, and Jalen Brown's on the ground, hands up. Like, what the hell happened? What do you mean, what happened? Like, you've been pickpocketed six times this game. What? What are you
1: confused about?
0: I don't Tatum. Uh, I think first player ever with a hundred turnovers in the postseason. So you want to talk about historic postseasons? There we go, baby. Hang the banner. But uh, it's just uh, it, it to to see the Warriors just kind of have their way on defense was was frustrating and hopefully it does motivate them. And I think that it, it feels like something you could fix, I guess, is, is, is a positive way to spin it. it. Is Ball security feels like a, a fixable problem in the offseason. Hopefully they figure it out. Hey,
1: in the Warriors' wins, and I think this is something to the Celtics' both credit and detriment. In the Warriors' wins, they scored 107, 107, 104, and 103. Those are not numbers that should be... That your team should be unable to best, but in the losses, the Celtics scored 90, 94, 88, and 97. So never broke 100 in any of their losses. That's a credit to the Warriors defense, but also a huge black mark against what the Celtics were doing offensively between the turnovers, the shot selection, the inability to get to the free throw line. Because that's the thing, right? If you're struggling offensively, you have to at least be able to get to the line and create some offense for yourself. And the Celtics just don't have any guys that can do that. They don't have a guy like um, Joel Embiid or James Harden or even on the Warriors. Like Steph Curry is pretty good at that as well, like getting to the line when he's struggling just to get yourself going a little bit and jason tatum needs to learn how to do that for when he's struggling because he could have used that the entirety of, of these playoffs and especially in the nba finals all right Tom, do you have any other final thoughts in the nba season before we we move on to postseason territory
0: um we got to bring back the uh the finals logo on the court i'm done with uh the holographic logos we gotta we gotta bring them back on the court i understand it's slick but yeah
1: which logo are we talking talking about i'm done with the cgi
0: logos it doesn't need to be the giant trophy even just like a little nba finals like with the trophy you can leave the presented by youtube tv on there that's fine whatever but i'm not a big you know projected logo on the court guy i thought it looked weird in the bubble i think it looks weird now Sorry. I get it. It's it's probably more cost-effective.
1: I would say it's not going anywhere because of the money that's tied up in it. But the other thing I want to say about the court logos, it would actually add an interesting dimension to the game because good ball handlers are going to intentionally bring their defenders over toward that logo. Because it's slippery, because they know if they cross at the right <laughs> moment, that guy is falling down. So it adds a fun element to the game of, okay, what guys are doing this? What guys aren't doing this?
0: True. True.
1: All right, Tom, let's move on then into the postseason territory. Of course, the first thing up is this Thursday, the 2022 NBA draft. I'm just going to put it out there now. I don't like the NBA draft nearly as much as I like the NFL draft, but it does have some of the same appeal because of you know, the hope and promise of the future and potential of these players. Tom, I have five categories we're going to go through for players and one team category to kind of determine what is the cream of the crop in this draft and kind of who should be ignored. Tom, let's start at the very top. Best player in the 2022 NBA draft. So the uh, let me let me phrase it as a, a sentence. The best player in the 2022 NBA draft is.
0: Oh, this is a good one. I. I've been back and forth on this one. I really like Chet, um, but I think in terms of athleticism, what you're going to get, who translates best to the modern game. I know I'm giving you the analysis before the player, which is not what you, which is not what you led me to do. But I'm cool with that. I, I, I think it's Jaden Ivy. I think John Morant is the comparison that goes right to me. Obviously, a little bit of Big Ten bias for me, maybe, but just to see it almost felt like he didn't want to be at Purdue this year and, and to see him kind of the athleticism that he has on the court, the way he can get to the basket, I think I'll say John Morant again, but that just kind of translating his game to that. And I think there's, there's room for that in the league. And I think he can kind of step in and he'll probably score a lot of points on a bad team in his first few years. And I think he, he can kind of translate and I I just, I trust him a little bit more than than some of the big guys ahead of him. So I
1: really like Jaden Ivey. I think he's going to be really good. The one thing that I actually have discovered reading some profiles about him and watching some videos, this was, again, we were just talking about this, so it's wild. I'm bringing it up again. He can't go left. When he goes left, he seems to have an inability to maintain his athleticism. He loses the ball a lot or puts up some bad shots. I think that's, again, correctable. So... You know, his athleticism is going to be the reason he thrives at the next level because he has that burst of a Russell Westbrook and he can go and elevate over guys. And this last year, he really developed a strong outside shooting touch, which a lot of the athletic guys don't have when they get into the league. So I'm with you. I think Jaden Ivey is going to be great. He's one of the guys I'm a huge fan of going into this draft. But to me, you mentioned his name already. Best player in the draft is Chet Holmgren. I refuse to make the mistake that I made last year when it came to Evan Mobley and seeing a guy who is as long and rangy and has the all the tools you're looking for and look at that guy and say, no, I'll take one of the safe bets. Give me the huge swing of the potential of Chet Holmgren because at minimum, even if he doesn't pan out to be obvious best player in the draft... He is an elite rim protector right now with nothing changing from his game. He's going to be an elite rim protector. And so you add into that what he can do offensively. He can initiate offenses at almost seven feet tall. He can shoot over basically every player in the league, I assume, except for Kevin Durant, maybe. And so it really just comes down to, you know, will he fill out his body? I think even if he doesn't, he's going to end up playing the four a lot more than he plays the five in the NBA. And I just think his skills translate to exactly what you're looking for in the NBA at this time. How much does the size bother you? It feels like he doesn't, especially later in the season was getting bullied inside by college kids. I think that is an overstatement by a lot of people, because if you go back and watch the game against Memphis, Jalen Duran is, by all accounts, a massive human being, like just absolutely yoked. And Jalen Durant was not pushing him around. He can, especially in the post, he can absorb contact a lot better than people give him credit for. That may become more of an issue at the next level, but even look at like a Kevin Durant, I think that is the comparable is Kevin Durant. I'm not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant for the record, but in terms of profile of size, he looks like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant doesn't get bullied on a basketball court. I think it's more about your mental toughness and... Your ability, again, to absorb the contact as a small, as a thinner guy, I don't think it's going to be as much of an issue as people think. And again, it's because I think he's going to end up playing the four a lot more than he plays the five. I think when he's playing the five, it could become an issue against, you know, the Joel Embiid's of the world. But how many Joel Embiid's are there in the league? There's one. Jokic is the other guy who can really bully somebody in the post right now. So there's two guys in the league who can do it. There aren't many power forwards who are going to be doing that to Chad Holmgren. So I think, I think he's going to, I think it's being overblown the issue of his his size Evan Mobley again I think that's the comparable in terms of recent draft they're the same exact player profile if you really look at them play and I think Chet Holmgren is a better defender which is saying a lot because Evan Mobley is an excellent defender
0: interesting all
1: right all right right, tom let's go over then to the most overrated player in the draft i actually think chet holmgren for a lot of people would fall into this category but tom for you the most overrated player in the 2022 nba draft is chet holmgren i think is
0: is 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 a little overrated um i I wouldn't fault a team for taking him one i still think he has a great upside uh Maybe overrated might be the wrong word for this guy now because he feels like he's almost evaporated off a of top ten board. So maybe people are starting to come around on him. But Walker Kessler, I, I just don't see it from Auburn. I think people loved him going into March Madness and then it just kind of fell off. I, I don't see the skills translating. I think he's uh, he he took advantage of a bad SEC, I think, and, and kind of honed his defensive skills and maybe we're looking at it as he's a little bit better defender than he is and I don't think he brings a lot on the offensive end. Uh, there's just not a lot that has impressed me about Kessler so far.
1: Yeah, I mean Walker Kessler, I'm kind of with you.
0: But I mean, I mean like is he even overrated anymore? Because you know a lot of the projections have him like in the late teens, twenties now. So maybe I mean maybe he's now being
1: properly rated yeah, you went way down the board. That was not <laughs> not where I was expecting
0: But he, I mean, he was getting top five chatter two, three months ago. Yeah,
1: I I guess I'm going to stick with a guy in the top five, according to ESPN's best player available. I think Keegan Murray, as much as I, I like his game in some ways, and he's a good shooter. I think the easy ways to knock him are his age. He is an older player. And I never like that going into the draft, especially if I'm spending a lottery pick. I want, I want to. 19, 20 year old. I don't want a guy who's going to be 21, 22 by the time we finally start. And on top of that, Keegan Murray doesn't have the athleticism I'm looking for from an elite player in the draft. I think for him to be the fifth best player in the draft and completely lack any of the athletic traits I want from a guy at that position I just I'm not as high on Keegan Murray as other people. I think he's gonna end up being a solid NBA player. I just don't see him as top five pick worthy, and I think whatever team takes him in the top five ten it is gonna end up reaching massively on Keegan Murray.
0: What are thoughts on Caro? I'd put him in the conversation too. Yeah, that translates. I think
1: ben- I didn't put this category in our list. I think Paolo Bencaro is the safest player in this draft. If you just want a guy who's going to walk out there and give you 20, much in the same way Cade Cunningham does, just take Paolo. I think Paolo is going to be a walking bucket the day he gets into the league. Now, how that impacts winning potentially, I don't know. I don't know if he has the playmaking ability to be a high impact player in the NBA, but in terms of just raw scoring ability, I think Paolo is the safest bet in this draft of a player who's going to be a consistent contributor.
0: More so than Chet. Okay, I guess you were saying Chet was more of the uh, more of the reach. Chet's not risky, reach, but uh, the uh,
1: the risky player. Yeah, yeah. Chet's risky. Paolo, we all saw it. The dude can give you twenty. It's just a matter of what else he's going to give you, both defensively and then any sort of playmaking. We'll see. I think he'll be greatly served playing next to a a guard who can take away some of the ball handling responsibilities because he strikes me as the kind of guy who could get into think think Carmelo Anthony right where he's this guy who he's going to give you a lot of scoring but he's not going to do much else for you and that's kind of how I feel about Paolo. I, I like Paolo, but. I'm not crazy about Palo like some other people, but I think he's totally worthy of the top three pick that he's going to end up being. All right, Tom, we just I did like overrated. Who is the most underrated player in this draft? Uh, This one might be a little out of left field, but I, I
0: started to fall in love with this guy towards the end of, of the college season. Um, he's a freshman at Baylor. He's a very uh, athletic power forward. I love Jeremy Sohan. Uh, he is six nine. He he only shot about, I think, under thirty percent from three. But he, I think, he was comfortable shooting. I think he fit in well with that Baylor team that obviously was coming off a national championship. I think that that that's that's a tough spot to fill if you're a freshman. I think six nine, the size that he has, the willingness to shoot from outside. I think he's a plus defender. Um, I, I love him. I think he'll be a really good fit as as kind of a. I see maybe a sixth man role to start. Um, but I, I love Sohan. I think his athleticism, people are sleeping on
1: him. I, I hope he's a top 10 pick because uh, I think that's a steal for whoever gets him. So I mentioned to you this guy already because I mentioned when Chet Holmgren played him, he was able to absorb a lot of his 6'10", 250-pound frame. But Jalen Duren, in terms of a guy athletically, um, on both, end flo- both ends of the floor that you want to build around, this guy is a stud. There aren't many... He's 19. Go look up a picture of Jalen Duran in a tank top. That guy is yoked for a 19-year-old. He is an NBA body right now, and he has not played a single minute in the NBA. I think his big deficiency right now is he is not a great shooter. But I think because of where he's kind of projected to go right now, and that you know 10 range. I think he could end up on a team who is ready to win sooner rather than later, and I think his ability to run the pick and roll and be an athletic rebounder and rim runner, he's going to be good immediately. And so it's really a question of, can he develop an outside shot? He seems to me to be the kind of guy who has the kind of work ethic you want from a guy who you want to eventually develop that kind of shot. So I think Jalen Duren is the most underrated player in this draft. Again, when you're talking physical athletic traits, plus what he was able to do on that Memphis team, uh, I think I think he's going to end up being an excellent NBA player.
0: I like that pick too. I'm a fan.
1: All right, Tom, let's go to impact players. So kind of like what I mentioned with Jalen Duren, the guy in this draft who on day one will have an immediate impact on his team uh, I don't know another way to word it. So the your number one impact player. So not let me just, for the audience, not necessarily the best player, because obviously the best players are going to have big impacts. But a player who is not in that conversation to be one of the best players, maybe he's outside the lottery, but on day one you expect him to have an immediate impact on a contender. Uh, you had a guy,
0: so I mean, go ahead. You,
1: you created this category because you wanted to talk about someone, so let's hear it. My guy. Uh, He's been my guy all season. If people have been listening to the pod, they know this. Tari Eason, the moment he steps onto an NBA floor, is going to be an impact guy. He is, let me pull his height up so I can get the official height. He is 6'8", 216 pounds. He plays small forward. He played low minutes at LSU off the bench. So maybe that's a concern. But every time he stepped into the game, he was LSU's best defensive player. And I think he will be a lot of NBA teams best defensive player and he gave you a lot offensively I think he averaged like 18 a game so he was their their best he was their best scorer and he was playing significantly less minutes than the guys who were in the other conversation there for LSU so I think what you're getting offensively and defensively he's exactly what you want from a uh a role player in today's NBA. He's going to give you great defense and he has a little bit of a spark offensively. So to me, Tari Eason, whatever team he ends up on, I am praying he falls to the Sixers at whatever it is, 21. If he falls to the Sixers at 21, I guarantee you he's going to be a huge contributor the moment he steps onto the floor. But whatever team gets Tari Eason is going to be very happy. There's one other guy that I want to mention, but I'm going to wait to see who you pick first. Uh, I had two as well, so I'll pick my number
0: one, and then you can go with your second one. Kennedy Chandler out of Tennessee. I really love him. Uh, I think as the point guard, he could be a really solid backup for one of these you know, fringe playoff teams. I love the way he defends. I think uh, Tennessee gets kind of overlooked every year because of their underperformance in the tournament. I think we uh, that's a school that can develop players. I mean, you look at Grant Williams for the Celtics. He's having a great season. Rick Barnes is a great basketball coach. Uh, He was there with Kevin Durant at Texas, I think. Um, So, you know, he's had his share of NBA talent. I think Tennessee, the way they play, kind of translates well to the NBA. So I like him as a backup point guard. He can score. He can get to the basket. I like his defense. So Kennedy Chandler for me, Tennessee. So
1: my other guy that I really liked in this category, curious if this was also your number two, I think Ochai Abaji, again, as in terms of a guy, not my number two, that was yours too. no it was not it was not that's a good pick uh he he fits the profile right three and d he is an older player and so you you might i i think with a coach say again i want to use the sixers as an example with a coach say like doc rivers who doesn't necessarily trust younger guys i think getting a guy like abaji who is what 22 23 i don't know how old he is but he's on the older side and getting him into your organization i think he's a guy you can trust a little bit sooner and again in terms of staying power in the nba he has a lot of buddy healed to me he's gonna knock down threes and he's gonna play good defense to me that is a guy who is gonna be an impact player in the nba for a long time
0: i like to ej liddell too is the name i was gonna throw out there good i think one. Uh, staying at college really helped him develop uh, you know we talked about him a lot after last year's tournament kind of needing to stay but uh you know what he did at ohio state this year i think really good defense. I think he improved a ton on the offensive side. So I, I I like him and I think, you know, kind of honestly poster child for staying an extra year in college. I think he really
1: developed his game. Well, yeah, he, I would completely agree. Uh, Tom, let's move on then to the teams in this draft. This is going to be our last category for the draft. Who is the team in this draft? Most needing a good draft. So, so what team needs to have the best draft?
0: I don't really think it's close. I think, uh, especially after the Christian Wood trade, I think the Houston Rockets are are hurting. And I I don't know who the best fit for them is, but I I think you're looking at... I I didn't love that trade. I think Dallas kind of fleeced them a little bit. Um, They're picking third, so you're looking at probably Smith or Bancaro. I think you're probably crossing your fingers that you get Bancaro
1: if you're the Rockets, but they're hurting right now. If so the the team who i feel like gets talked about a lot as kings of the tank and it's not the the kings but the the kings of the tank (laughs) are the oklahoma city thunder and the whole reason they have tanked as hard as they have is for these opportunities to pick in the top half of the nba draft lottery and they have two picks in the top 12 pick number two and pick number 12. I think they have a real good shot to leave this draft with Chet Holmgren and somebody else. Leaving with just Chet Holmgren is good enough. But at 12, I think there's a chance you can end up with, you know, one of those impact players we were just mentioning, you know, maybe a Shaden Sharp, who is currently ESPN's seventh best player available. If he falls into that range, that is an absolute steal of just high-end talent for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But you cannot continue to trade assets at the rate they are and continue to try and pick in these positions and then flounder when you have the opportunity to pick in these positions. The Oklahoma City Thunder, to me, have to start showing the signs of a team who have some sense of direction other than we're just going to lose basketball games. And it's the exact same thing I was saying about the Sixers when they were picking in these areas. They needed to show they had some sort of plan beyond we are going to lose. And I think this is step one in showing that. And they got to get somebody in there to help Shea Gildress Alexander because sooner rather than later, Shea is going to be like, why should I keep doing this? And it's just going to be asked to be. Why am I here?
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. Two more names for you that we didn't talk about. Uh, I think I want your quick take on them. Uh, Number one,
1: Johnny Davis. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on Johnny Davis. I don't feel like I watched enough of his his games this year, and I haven't really gotten into any of his player profiles yet. So I don't know what your thoughts are. Uh, I think he benefited
0: from playing in the Big Ten and people desperate to have a star at Wisconsin. I don't actually don't think he's going to translate that well. That tracks. Um, I, I think I think he has trouble scoring, <laughs> um, and it, it's it's not going to. He was a great scorer, but he when he's struggling, ha, you know, has the Tatum disease of maybe not being able to get himself to the line and, and struggling with his he's, shot and shots alike. He's not
1: very efficient. I know that about him. Yes, yes. There we go. Uh, number
0: two, Ty Washington.
1: Ty ah, Ty, I'm so torn on. I think Ty Ty, when he was at his best, I really liked Ty Ty, but he lacks the athleticism I'm looking for. I-, I think he'll end up being a good, again, role player. I think he'll be somebody who can initiate your offense, and it, on any given night, he has an ability to potentially go for like thirty. But again, he, he's not somebody who you can consistently rely upon for 20 a game. If he ends up giving an NBA team like 12 points and 5 assists a game, I think that is exactly the kind of projection you should expect from Ty Ty. But anything lower than that, it's a disappointment. Anything higher than that, it's a bonus.
0: I mean, I got nothing to add on that one.
1: He's very meh, right? He's very like, I like him, but meh.
0: He's like, he, he, I feel like he peaked at the beginning of this season. Like, he peaked it too early.
1: Yes. Like, and, we and loved
0: him. We loved him in November. And then it's like, you
1: watch more of his games, and we don't love him as much. Let me compare him real quick to another Kentucky recent guard. That, of course, was Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey, right, had the athletic ability, but didn't have the shooting touch. Ty Ty Washington is kind of the opposite. He has the shooting touch, but he doesn't have the athletic ability. And... I would much rather have the guy who's super athletic that can't shoot and maybe you can learn how to shoot than the guy who is a pretty good shooter, but zero athleticism. Because Ty Tai's not really blowing by anybody. I think he's a fun player. I think he is a good personality, but I just don't see him being a high end point guard in today's NBA I think he'll be fine but he won't ever be your a leader on your team he'll never be your second or third best player on a champion all right Tom let's move on then to our final segment this week we are over an hour already actually I think we're right at about an hour because of the beginning that I'm going to cut out not too bad. uh yeah. that of course is our sound of the week Tom we're going to start with your sound because it directly pertains to the NBA finals and is a lot more relevant uh so go ahead and set that up for the people
0: uh, yeah, so uh, they were doing their post-Game 6 press conferences, you know, right after the Warriors had won, and um, a lot of NBA Twitter beef these days, and, uh, you know, people say things uh, that, that maybe bother some other players, and sometimes they respond right after. Sometimes they let it simmer for a while, like Clay Chompson chose to do, so uh, let's take a listen. There was this one player on the Grizzlies who tweeted strength and numbers after they beat us in the regular season, and it pissed me off so much. I can't wait to retweet that thing, freaking bum. That I had to watch that. I'm just like, this freaking cloud. Okay. 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 Sorry. That memory just popped up. you going to mock us? Like, you ain't ever been there before, bro. We've been there. We know what it takes. So to be here again, hold that. Strong words from Clay. I don't know if you can see the tweet on there, but it's strength in numbers tweeted by Jaren Jackson of the Memphis Grizzlies when they beat him in the regular season, strength the numbers, of course, the Warriors, you know, at rally cry, I guess, if you want to call it about that, you know, their playoff run, kind of their, their slogan, their mantra for the past few years. I thought it was kind of corny by Clay. Um, I, I don't love going after a team like two rounds after it felt like, like, dude, you've already put them to bed. Like, you know, after the NBA finals, congratulations, like rest on your laurels. But, it felt weird timing to me like maybe do that after you beat the grizzlies and i get it like unfinished business and all that but it really like you're obviously better than the grizzlies you won four championships like you're classier clay thompson
1: no you know what Uh, this is the level of petty i aspire to right where you what i like about what he did is kind of the opposite of what you don't like i think is he beat them in the semifinals. And he could have taken that opportunity to be like, man, they tweeted strength in numbers. We use that as motivation. No, no, no. They were so annoyed by this. They used it as motivation through the NBA finals. And I just love the pettiness of like, like, oh yeah, strength in numbers. Hold that. That's what we did. We got another NBA championship. What did you do? Lost to us. Hold that. You're that after a regular season game? Hold that. This is the kind of energy I want from more of the players in the Sixers, because not enough of them have this energy. And we just need more of this in the NBA at large. I loved this from Clay Thompson.
0: Bottom line is the, uh, we got to stop the regular season mock tweets. I mean, you're setting yourself up for a disaster there. Come on, the regular season doesn't matter that much, so... Jaron Jackson, put the phone away, please. I mean, maybe he'll learn. Maybe he'll learn now. I mean, John Morant was still tweeting
1: about it. That Grizzlies team
0: is not going to learn. They're going to do what they do, and and I hope it doesn't change.
1: The follow-up, I don't know if you saw, was John Morant tweeted that, uh, something about, like, they own property in the Warriors' head, and Draymond responded and said, we traded in that property for a piece over in Boston. (laughs) So. Also, all the Iguodala tweets about when they were like, This bomb
0: leaving Memphis because he doesn't want to build a championship here. (laughs) That's like, I was was just going to go win another ring
1: in Golden State, okay? Not even that. That was always the plan. When the Grizzlies (laughs) traded for him, the plan was to cut him. And then they got mad when he wanted to be cut. It didn't make any sense. All right, Tom, let's move on then to my sound of the week. Uh, Mine is very short, eight seconds long. Hopefully, it plays properly for you. But if it doesn't, I can very easily explain it on the back end. the setup here is it's a weatherman at a local news station uh, and it was going to be pretty hot all week, but he had something much more fun to say about that. Well, now we look at our 10 day forecast. It's looking a little bit like those Dallas Cowboys is
0: peaking in the 90s.
1: And that was it. So if, for those who didn't catch it, who hasn't seen catch it, it on Twitter, um, it was going to be high 90s all week in wherever this city is i don't even know what city this is and the weatherman says quote unquote it is going to be a lot like the dallas cowboys peaking in the 90s i love it this this man (laughs) understands the assignment he saw it and he was like you know what good opportunity to make fun of the dallas cowboys and that is exactly how i think so salute to you uh weatherman wherever this is i actually have not a clue where this is to a. Uh, there's a lot going on weather forecaster for any reason you know i was thinking about this as well and my immediate thought was it would be rob johnson we'd have to call rob johnson to be the mm, it's a good the, point the talgo yeah. weatherman but yeah no i mean th- we gotta get him on the payroll yeah if the, the payroll that currently consists of nobody <laughs> if this guy wants to uh be the official weatherman if of there's a lot going on i'm okay with that he i just need to know who his team is because we know he's a cowboys hater but is he potentially a Giants or Commanders fan? Because if he is, that's a no go. We can't have that in our midst. Oh, why not? Why not? Come on. Listen, no. What do the commanders ever do to you? Uh be owned by Daniel Snyder. That's what they did.
0: Hmm, okay. Very,
1: very unfortunate that potentially the most you know what? I'm not gonna say it. I I was gonna I was gonna talk about what their old name used to be and an unwillingness to change. I'll just say It's incredible that they had the first black winning Super Bowl quarterback. Like, astonishing that that is is somehow the team who had that. Dan Snyder has another notch in the resume, by the
0: way. He has now also blown DC's chances to host a World Cup. So very well done there by not renovating the stadium and uh, continuing to disregard anything that is of actual importance to the team so well done there. i saw it's
1: the first time in i don't know how long but in a while that the capital of a country is not hosting any world cup games like it it just never happens i'd be shocked if it wasn't the first time ever like i'd be shocked if it had happened before
0: it's i mean listen shouldn't be the capital to begin with what who said that it's a bit almost swampy it was built on compromise it's a terrible location Great great take.
1: All right, Tom, that brings us to the end of another edition of There's a Lot Going On. Really all over the place today. But uh, you know, solid show. We got a lot of a lot of a lot of hot takes out there today. Let me just say we, we were really we were really firing the takes off. Uh, over the next couple weeks, I think gonna be a little slow moving in the sports world, so we'll see kind of where we end up, what we end up talking about. We'll obviously do some draft stuff next week. We'll be doing some WNBA through the offseason, of course, waiting for the NBA and the NFL to start back up. But Tom... And people have made it to the end of this episode. They made it all the way with us through the NBA season. They clearly love the show. What they need to do is go into iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us what you like, what you don't like. You can also give us a five-star rating on Spotify or whatever your podcast listening app of choice is. Be sure to follow us on social media. All those links will be in the show notes of this episode. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok are the ones I'd like to highlight. And Tom, I just want to know uh, any final thoughts before we go this week.
0: Yeah, it's Father's Day. Shout out to uh, my own father, Steve, for from a, uh, a foot surgery. So, you know, glad he's doing well. He is back home. Still in the crutches, but, uh, you know, he's getting better. So uh, maybe a little bit of subdued Father's Day today, hanging out, maybe do some grilling, maybe order some food, have some uh, adult
1: beverages, but it'll be fun. So shout out, Steve. Hey, shout out to all the, the dads out there and shout out to uh, all the guys who were almost almost dads out there. For Tom Shively, I'm David Oro. Catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.